Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast about all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderpoot, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, the offseason has begun for Sporting Kansas City, and it includes the official announcement of roster decisions for the upcoming year. The news was mostly as we suspected last week with uh, Houston being the final minutes for two club legends and fairly few other players of note exiting without the notion of attempting to resign them. This allows me to get really nerdy with my uh, Sporting Kansas City roster spreadsheet uh, and attempt to come up with some idea of what areas Sporting Kansas City could potentially add in and what their actual flexibility is in those areas. We'll spend a fair bit of this episode diving deep into the very murky waters that are the MLS salary cap and try to give as informed a point of view as we can with the information that is available to us. MLS Cup is set, and it is the matchup that I predicted with LAFC heading to Columbus on Saturday. It's definitely the most entertaining match on paper. Um, the Obviously, the Hell is Real derby on Saturday was extremely entertaining as well to set up the Eastern side. Uh, and I think there's some potential for one with similar entertainment level on the horizon with the two teams in the finals. So we'll take a look at that. Cody, we spent a fair bit of time preparing ourselves last week and talked about the impact both Graham Zussi and Roger Espinosa have had on both the success of this club over the last decade plus, as well as the overall fan experience for many of us. Um, they've been just a, a, such a quintessential part of what we know Sporting Kansas City to be. With the official news coming that they will not be returning next year, there's certainly a sense of finality to what has to be looked back on as a a really positive period of time for this club. Yeah, it's it's even though it's uh, a move that was expected and and probably the right move for all par- all parties involved. Uh, it still stings, and um, you know, because those two guys are sporting legends, and uh, their names will be up on the wall. And you know, more than that, I think that they've been you know major contributors to the culture of the team, and uh, they both seem to be you know, really, really good dudes and, you know, in completely different ways. I mean, you know, Roger is much more vocal and gregarious and, and, um, and, and, you know, Zussi is, uh, more quiet and sort of, you know, uh, reserved and, uh, but they, they both have had just massive impacts off the field and on the, uh, and on the field. And, um, I mean, I think that, that sometimes we forget like how important, um, um, those players are along with you know some of the other uh players in that group you know like your your matt beaslers and um and you know sesanovic and like how how is how just essential those that group of players is to you know what the club is today and and um how instrumental they were in 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 both um um creating that club culture uh but also uh pushing success uh on the field because uh you know in the last uh in the last 10 years this club has been a very successful club uh by almost any measure uh in in mls and and um those guys deserve a lot of the credit for that 
Yeah, there's there's levels to this. I mean, I'm not trying to besmirch the name of anyone that is on the wall in Children's Mercy Park right now, but there's levels to this. Sure. Um, and these guys are in the first tier of those levels, right? When it comes to what they have meant to this club, what they their um the amount of time, obviously, the starts, the minutes, the the performances. Uh, Mike Kuhn put together a, a fairly um, uh, statistics-laden article for the KC Soccer Journal, as he is wont to do. Like, you know, we know Mike is kind of our unofficial uh, historian, right? Like, he's he's got such a – just a cache of information related to, uh, you know, starts and minutes and, and, and perf- you know, how much each player has, has spent time with this club, and he's got just this – unbelievable amount of data around just how impactful these players have been. And it's, it's instructive to go and and read it and, and see that like the, the only players that are even in their realm, as far as both statistical performance and longevity with the club are Beasler. And we know Beasler's name's going on the wall as soon as possible and Precky. There's something to be said for that, right? Like, I, I understand that for a lot of people that listen to this podcast, not many of them are f- as familiar with, like, seeing Precky play or being aware of, like, just how impactful he was to this club. He's the only two-time MVP in MLS history, period. He's the only one that's ever won it twice. He was the best player in this league for about seven years when it started and everyone talks about Dwayne de Rosario and, you know, Dero and Jaime Morales. And there's a variety of other players that were very impactful at the beginning of this, of this league's inception. There was no one that was doing it at the level of Preki with that level of consistency. You know, you have PBF, Carlos Valderrama. There were, there were a number of players that were playing at a high level in this league early, but no one was doing it with this level of consistency as Preki was. And he was doing it into his forties. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was just just um, unstoppable for a long period of time. And it says something that he is still the all-time assist leader for this club. Yeah. 27 years down the road. Now, obviously, he set that record, you know, 20 years ago, probably. But still, the point is that we're that far in, and he's still the all-time assist leader for the club. And he still ranks as one of the assist leaders. I think he's in the top 10 in MLS all time. Mm -hmm. Like the the guy is just, he was an amazing player. So for these two guys, specifically Zussi in comparison, statistically to Preki to be kind of in that realm tells you all you need to know about the quality of these players and what they meant to this team over their time. Yep. And obviously the longevity of that time is a, is a big part of that as well. You know, both of them were drafted, what, 2008, 2009, I think. They were like a year apart. Um, and they they were with the club the whole time. I, other than when Raj went to Wigan, they were with the club the whole time. And that's why Zussi's got him a little bit on starts and minutes and whatnot is because Raj took that, you know, year and a half in Wigan, went and won an FA Cup and did all the things that he did in England with the Premier League. But – I, there's there's something to be said for that. And I don't know how much you're going to see this type of thing anymore. I, I Mike even brought it up in the, in the article. The only one that has any potential of meeting these numbers 
other than Tim Melia, mainly because Timmy's a goalkeeper. And so minutes and starts and whatnot are a little bit different for a goalkeeper than they are for a field player. And even then, Tim's, I don't know that he's going to reach these numbers. Is Shallowy. Shallowy's the only guy mm-hmm. who's got any shot at yeah. this. And he'd have to stay with the club until he's like 35. Yeah. Which could happen, but I mean that. It could. But that's but that's why it's it's less it's going to be a hard record to beat is because you know these players are are good players, right? I mean they're very good players. Um, I don't know if they're elite players, but I mean they're just they are they are very very good players, and um, and you know nowadays those are the kind of players that clubs are looking to sell, and and those players who have that skill are are really intent on going to Europe and there's uh, options for them to do so that weren't, weren't necessarily around um, when Zussi and Roger were younger. You know, the one of the, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, in, if, if 2013 is 2023, yeah. Graham Zussi is going to Europe. Sure. Yeah. 100%. Uh-huh. This guy was a locked in starter for the U S men's national team. He was, you know, he, he was a huge part of the world club qualifying bid that got them into Brazil. And then all the stuff that happened after you remember both Beasler and Zussi were DPs coming back yeah. because that's what, that's what that's the club what it, that's what it took to keep them there. Yeah. That's what it took to keep them there. And if it's now in that circumstance, they're, they're we're not, that's not even a conversation, right? They're going to Europe and, and they're going to a top five league and playing for a pretty good team yep. in a top five league in that circumstance. Yeah. One of the amazing things uh, to me about both of these players and why, um, why the, you know, I have a lot of respect for both of them is because it's not, it's not just that they stayed with the club. Um, and it's not just, they, they were good players, but they developed, right? Like, like they grew uh, and developed as players, um, in ways that, uh, that I don't think, um, a lot uh, you see with a lot of other players. And, you know, I think both of them, um, really, um, like they, they weren't just like wonder kids, you know, they were, they, they kind of grew into, um, into really, really fantastic players. And, you know, for both of them that, that meant, you know, uh, uh, changes in position. Um, you know, Roger started out playing left back, moved into the midfield. Zussi started out on the wing and played in the midfield and, uh, and, um, and then eventually settled in as a, as a, an outside defender. And that, you know, changing uh, positions like that takes, um, it takes a lot of hard work and, uh, and dedication and, uh, and a certain, you know, um, skill set and both of those guys both of those guys have both like the physical tools and the the mental tools to make that work and um um i mean that's like 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 to me just that that the ability to like grow right not just to not just just be here and be present and and be on the team but but to grow and to like bring the team with them with that growth um super impressive to enhance to enhance their game regularly yep, yep. Not just in doing drills and like, you know, uh, doing the little patterns and things like that. No, just like add things to their tool chest yeah. because certain things were being removed from their tool chest as they get as they age. <laughs> right. right? Some, <laughs> yeah. some of the some of their capabilities athletically weren't at the same level. So they had to evolve and they had to make themselves better in different areas. We've been making jokes for two years about Raj being late game shabby. Yeah. Like we're like he this is a part of his game that he evolved a lot over the last mm-hmm. five years. And even in that 2017 season when you know when he was in or out it was a huge deal right and you saw it he had he had he had really adjusted his profile to being much more of a creative player or at least at least a creative passer Mm -hmm. 
um, at that point. And, and I think that it's, it's something to your point that, that is really important is that the, the longevity that they had had a lot to do with their ability to evolve their games over that period and find new ways to be valuable. Yeah. And it's funny to think like, you know, Roger took the, that red card, Roger moniker with him, um, all the way till the end. But, but, but for, um, you know, for that time in the in the you know, late two thousand tens, you know, or two thousand sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. I mean, he was um, he was like a super super creative passer and um, and create and a chance creator uh, on the attacking side of the ball. Not just a guy who like ran around and you know had leather lungs and 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 tackled everybody. Although he did do that too, uh, but that. You know that time where he was sort of like you know really adept at both things um he was i think one of the underrated um um top midfielders in the league i agree completely and i i think that's the thing it's like he was still like i call i use i like to call him the lawnmower mm-hmm. he covered every blade of grass mm-hmm. and he did but it w- later in his career he was he was still up until the last couple of years where it just wasn't something that he had in the tank anymore. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2019 was a bad year, but 2017, 2018, he was covering all of that ground, but not in that sort of hyper physical. I'm yeah. going to cleat you to death sort yeah. of way and more. I mean, he would close on people and make them think he mm-hmm. was going to do it. <laughs> and he would use that to his advantage to take the ball off them. But he he was more of a he was more of a thoughtful player at that point in his career, and he used some of his experience to his advantage, and it was highly successful. and And we've we've espoused long on this podcast about how different the team looks when Rogers not at his best, when he's either injured or you know as he started to lose some of his ability to be a regular everyday player how that has impacted the midfield control that this team can exude and 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 not just because he's tackling guys over and over again. I, I think that I think that that's a it's an easy out, so to speak, because we can look at video of Raj from like twelve years ago and go, oh yeah, yeah, he was hyper aggressive and just going after people. I think after he came back from Wigan, this guy has been a completely different player than yeah. that. He'll get into a tackle and he's he's gotten the occasional red card, but he's I mean, he's still in his MLS career less than one red card a season. Like it's not like he's like, oh my God, I'm getting red cards three times a year. He's um, he's no Kyle Beggerman, that's for sure. No, he's certainly not. Uh and, and you know, everybody gets out, he's like the most yellow cards, most red cards in league history. That's because he's also played central midfield. Mm-hmm more than anyone else has in league history. Yeah. So like that, that's the thing is like, you look at starts minutes, all those things. No, nobody's close to it yeah. in those numbers. So yes, if you are a central midfielder that is responsible for getting in and out of duels and, and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. you're going to get some bad fouls. Sometimes it, yep. it happens it's just part of the game. And I, I think that, um, yeah, he's, we've talked about this regularly. He is the one that I'm probably going to miss the most. Yeah. And I think the team's going to miss him. Like, I, I hope they the, find the, a place the, on the, the staff. Been, for him been, been missing him at least his his on field uh, performance. And well, and that's um, that's what I'm saying is like I think the the off field is what yeah. they're going to miss him because uh, 
there's story after story after story yeah. over how he's whenever they bring a new player into the team, they send him to Raj. Raj is the one that brings him in, like sort of introduces them, gets them involved in the group. Like there's so much of a family atmosphere, but also like responsibility that Peter is very big on as far as like if you're going to be a member of this team, you have a responsibility. You have to meet the you know the team ideals and and whatnot, the pillars. And Raj has always been very good at helping indoctrinate those players yeah. into that. And he's always the one that like, if there's a player that needs it, he's their roommate on the road. Mm -hmm. It's just all that kind yeah. of stuff that I think the team's going to miss big time. And um, I'll be interested to see how that is replaced or does Raj just end up on the staff immediately? I hope so. I mean, that, that might be, that might be how they handle it. Um, but he's, uh, he's, he's more of a heartbeat of the team than I think anyone has been yeah. over the last 15 years. And that that's going to be, that's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough one for sure. Um, it was to your point from a logical perspective. I think we can all agree that this was the right move. Logically from an emotional perspective, it's tough. I think Amber Wilson said it on Twitter. It's like I was prepared, but I was not ready. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think that I can, I think that's the best way of describing exactly how I feel about this situation. Yeah. So, all right, let's move to something a little bit more positive. Um, news break, breaking this week as they uh, work on all of the particulars around Copa America next year. So obviously, for those of you that aren't aware, Copa America is going to be in the United States next year. Uh, there will be of the 10 comma ball teams and then six teams from CONCACAF. There's still some playoffs to decide who the other, who the, who the fifth and sixth teams are um, based on who made it to the last eight of uh, nations league qualifying or the nations league semifinals or quarterfinal, like at quarterfinals. So there will be some playoffs there. Um, but obviously the United States is already qualified by making it a semifinal. Mexico has already qualified. Um, and they have announced where all of the games are going to be played. And two of those games will be played in Kansas City. And none of those games will be played in St. Louis. Weird. <laughs> Strange. It's wonderful. I, I can't. One, also, one of the U.S. Men's National Team games will mm -hmm. be played at Arrowhead. In, uh, at Arrowhead. Yeah. So uh, there's going to be a group stage game. Uh, that we'll figure out what it is when they do the draw. I think is this weekend or is it Thursday? Is it tomorrow? I think the draw might be tomorrow um, for, you know, what the groups are going to look like for Copa America. So there'll be four groups of four. One of those matches will be played at Children's Mercy Park. I think that's group B. I'm talking off the top of my head, so I don't remember exactly what it is. We'll, we'll know exactly what that matchup is uh, come, I think, tomorrow is when the group stage uh, draw happens. And then the last group stage game for the United States will be played in Arrowhead, and I think July 1st. So that'll be a fun 4th of July weekend kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it'll be a good dress rehearsal for for uh, Arrowhead to get stuff ready for, for the World Cup. There are, I, I'll have to talk to some folks. Um, I know some people and I'll have to talk to them about, I, I know that part of the, um, the deal with Arrowhead was they had to make some modifications so that they could get the full size pitch, um, on, on, on those grounds. So I'll be interested to see, I, I assume that after this season, they'll start working on some of those changes. And I think the idea is probably to have that in place for that match. 
that, I would assume that that's that why would, they want to get. If, if they were able to do that, that would be impressive because I it, they, the modifications that need to be done are like serious. They're they're extensive. They're not just window dressing. They're um, they involve you know um, taking out portions of the stands and 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 modifying the height of the pitch. And so it's not like an insignificant an, an insignificant thing that they that they have to do. So um, it would be. Uh, really interesting to see if they were able to to pull it off before this summer. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I'd have to ask some questions of some folks. I was not aware about them modifying the height of the pitch. Is that just for better sight lines from the field? Or? Uh, I think so. I don't. I I was on a tour of Arrowhead over the summer, and they explained it. And you know, that was uh, it was more than a few hours ago, so I don't I don't really remember what all was said. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that that the uh, that that modification was part of it. Um, I'll shoot some text messages after this. I have some people I know I can ask about it and maybe we'll find out whether or not that's a thing that um, could potentially happen. But I think regardless, the the um, the available grass is more than enough to put a 120 by 75 pitch on it. Um, it there are some issues related to the shape as far as how you would get um, appropriate fan access and things like that, that and, and bench access that I think is part of the conversation. But um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do a little research for everybody on that one. And we'll have some more details next week as far as like what realistically could be done by that point. Um, I do have it on fairly good authority while we're talking about um, stadium upgrades is that children's mercy park is going to be having a few upgrades in the off season. I, I, I'm not in a position where I feel like I'm comfortable telling you what those will be, but um, let's just put it this way. A lot of the things that we discussed this season that we were frustrated by that other clubs had, my understanding is many of those are in the plans mm-hmm. for next year. So um, like I said, I don't know how much of it's public knowledge, so I'm not, I'm not trying to like throw it out there, but there will be several significant upgrades to the fan experience at Children's Mercy Park next year. Um, that have been planned for some time that I think will, will, will help alleviate. I think, I think a lot of us have been concerned with a little bit of staleness when it comes to our experience at that park. And and in fairness, it's been there for 12 years now Yeah, and it's easy for that kind of thing to happen. Um, I'm not a fan of like, Oh, it's 12 years old. Let's do something new. Let's just rip it up and change it. But I do think that there is an opportunity to to uh, make some make some upgrades. And my understanding is many of those are in the plans for the off season this year. How about a uh, how about a, a pedestrian bridge over State Avenue? From <laughs> oh oh like over the top from Nebraska Furniture Mart? No 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 uh, over um, over State Avenue between the parking oh, lot. Oh State Avenue. And, oh yeah uh, that 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 might be yeah. I mean I wonder if they can get the NASCAR track to help pay for that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not because I guess NASCAR, you're going straight to the track from there. Yeah. You don't have to worry about state Avenue. Yeah. That, the, that the, whole crossover. The, those folks over of... at NASCAR, they just print money. So they should be able to do, help <laughs> something. I don't think, I don't think they print money at the level that you think they do. Um, um, they print many, they print many at a, at a factor higher than MLS teams do, but it's not as big of a factor as I think you think it is. Um, but that said, I, yeah, I mean, I think that I, TBD, I'll um, I'll let you know if some of the stuff that I know is um, 
I don't want to be like the guy in the know. I just don't want to put stuff out there that I'm not supposed to be talking about. So um, there, there are some planned upgrades for the stadium. And I think there will be ones that people will be happy about. Let's put it that way. Now, now you're just guy that says, I know a bunch of stuff and won't tell anybody. No, but I'm not a reporter (laughs) and I'm not, I'm not going to give away stuff that I, that I don't, that I haven't vetted out as being public knowledge. Let me put it that way. That's fair. Um, um, so anyway, that there, I, I will, I will, I will make a note of that as well and see if there's information that I can readily share. There's some, yeah, there's, there's a few different things out there that I think will be cool next year that, um, I'll see if it's stuff I can well, share. They need to get their act together because the, the Kansas city current are just killing it in terms of their, uh, their concession offerings. So, um, at least they're, doing- they're also killing it in 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 relation to their ticket pricing. So I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna get to you're gonna get room thirty nine while you're there, but you're also gonna pay to go go to room thirty nine yeah. while you're there. So, um, yeah. I mean, there's a cost with everything, right? Yep. Like it, it's gonna be cool, but it ain't gonna be cheap. Um, okay. The last thing I want to cover before we get into nerdy roster, uh pseudo GM conversation is the admission, I guess is the best way I could say it by pro during their, um, they, they do, they do a video review, um, YouTube video almost every week. Um, they haven't been, it ha- there hadn't been one in several weeks, but mainly that was because there hadn't been MLS games, uh, in several weeks because of the international break. And they went through both the offside, call in the FC Cincinnati match, as well as the um, handball in the Sporting Kansas City match, and basically admitted that while the review wasn't recommended because the hand was by the side, that it should have been recommended because when you're standing on the goal line, your hand actually does become a, a um, concerning, you know, if it touches your hand while you're on the goal line attempting to block a goal it doesn't matter if it's in a natural position is basically the, the way the rule is. And it's, it's one of those situations where I didn't even know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't, I had no idea yeah. until he said that on the video. I had no idea yeah. that when you're trying to block a goal on the goal line, that all of a sudden natural position becomes less irrelevant. And obviously the VAR didn't know that either. Yeah. That's it's wild. So, I mean, I think that 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 should tell you everything you need to know about the idiosyncrasies of the rule set. And while I think that I understand what people are upset about it, I I didn't even know that that would be a reason why the review should have been held. We didn't even talk about that last week. So um, it's upsetting, obviously. You you know, it's dog. So according to the letter of the law, should have been a dog so red. And a penalty kick. And obviously that changes the complete trajectory of that game. Yeah. So I understand what people are upset about it. Also, shit happens, as we said last week. So um, there were many other opportunities for sporting to score in that game that they didn't. So Yeah, I mean, um, and we see that, you know, that, that this isn't exclusive to 
to sporting. It's not exclusive to MLS. It's not even exclusive to soccer. Look at all of the all of the missed calls in the Chiefs oh game, God. and you know, or or, or the, yeah, I mean, even with soccer, the city fans losing their mind. Oh with yeah, the, the the I mean, that's the second time for time this year where something. I I was even shocked when they called that when they called that playback. I was like, wait, he played advantage and then he stopped playing advantage. What happened? Yeah. I mean, but it's just shit like that happens in games. It's just it happens. Um, poor offense. Yeah, against the Chiefs, the 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 defensive pass interference that wasn't called, but then the weird late hit that was called, yeah. and so <laughs> I, it's just if as long as human beings are officiating these games, they're going to make the same mistakes the players do sometimes yeah. in their job. We all make mistakes sometimes, and you know we're going to have to recognize that. And I mean, I think. I think it's reasonable for you to expect a level of professionalism that eliminates the majority of mistakes. I don't think that we can say that Guido Gonzalez was for the most part bad in that game. I don't, I I just think that it's something that happened. Yep. Okay. It's frustrating, but I'm, I'm at the, I'm at the acceptance stage of grief on this one if you guys listen to that shades of blue where they tried to go through all stages of grief at once i am at the acceptance stage um so let's move on to to what is um chief soccer officer corner i guess is the best way to describe it not tactical corner general manager corner um where we are going to take a deep dive into roster construction so uh, I'm going to preface this by telling you, and those of you that uh, participate in our Discord may have seen pictures, me like screenshotting this before. I know Cam, who listens to the podcast, is probably our most um, ardent um, pseudo GM of, of our <laughs> of our listener group that's on the Discord, and he definitely gets into this at a at, at a significantly higher level than most. Um, the is which is my advertisement to go join the discord if if you would like to talk about this with us in more detail further it's a lot easier way to get a hold of us and like get some conversation going um the links uh, i've got a link tree in my uh twitter profile that, that will send you to the discord or to the podcast or to our email so any of those things um are available there if you want to if you want to contact us on the discord you want to shoot us an email whatever it's all in that link tree so feel free to use that um but I, you know, I do like to dabble in at least trying to create some sort of an idea of what's going on with Sporting Kansas City's roster in comparison to the salary cap rules and what I perceive to be their situation. Um, a couple of things that we should probably set as sort of table stakes for this. Um, and these are the basics. I'm, I'm going to do the when we go through this every year i'm gonna kind of lay down the basics because not everybody is as deep into the weeds as i am or as cam is when it comes to understanding how the mls salary cap works and unfortunately because of the opacity in how salary cap budget charges are uh calculated and what they actually are for every player like the fact that we really don't know what the actual salary cap budget charge is for every player even though we have sort of an idea from the players association releasing salaries and guaranteed comps. A lot of this is directional and just sort of like an idea of what it is. We don't have an over the cap.com. We don't right. have a capology. We don't have any of that for MLS. We just have kind of the data that's out there from the players association and what we know the rules to be from MLS which I will tell you are not <laughs> all of the rules. 
<laughs> there are there are more rules that are not listed uh-huh. on the website regarding how uh, how salary cap charges are applied, how they're uh, allocated, and there's a whole lot of Weasley business that goes on in the back end that we can't see. Some clubs have whole so, sections that, that you know uh, of of exp- explanation how how the rules don't apply to them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and. It is, and it's a single entity league, so they can make changes <laughs> whenever the fuck they want to to adjust for big signings that a certain club wants to make that may be able to make that. And and in fairness, I will be the first person to say if you can sign that big player and bring him in, yeah. and there's only one club that can do it, that's fine. Bring him in. Yep. Let's let's raise a level of the league, and we'll deal. Everyone else will deal with it. Um, but that also means that all of this is fluid. <laughs> and it it is not as set in stone as you may like. So understand all those things. So the first thing that we need to kind of get the grips on is what is the salary cap? Okay. The salary cap is for 2024. The total salary cap for 2024 is 5.7, 5.47 million dollars. Okay. So Every single player on your roster cannot cost more than $5.47 million. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm going to be completely honest when I tell you that I feel like the salary cap number is completely irrelevant. Like, yeah. I don't even know why they post that number. Uh, it, it is for anyone that's even somewhat familiar with the MLS salary cap structure and allocation money it becomes basically irrelevant. They, they do uh, it for the crafts and the hunts. That's why they put, I mean, yeah, I, I, this whole salary cap is the, the cap is dumb. The reality of the, of the matter is every team does have to get their salary cap charge. And that's the best way of describing mm-hmm. it. It's a salary cap charge. So the, the actual charge that a certain player um, attributes towards the salary cap has to be at total under $5.47 million next year. Now, the reason I say charge is because players can players cap charge can be reduced via a number of mechanisms. Um, The first one is the designated player mechanism. Okay, so every single so the maximum amount that any player can be the maximum amount that any player can be charged against a salary cap is 12% of a 12 and a half percent, excuse me, 12 and a half percent of the total cap charge of the total cap, excuse me. So that number is $683,750. No player is allowed to have a higher cap charge than $683,750 period. You are not allowed to have any single player have a charge over that much. Now, Sporting Kansas City has uh, currently Nine players, that includes Gotti Kenda, so eight. Let's call it eight players that make more than $683,750 on their on their roster. How do they have eight players that make that make more money than that and still reduce their cap charge? Well, it's via the various dubious mechanisms that MLS has in place. I think so I think we first, should call them levers. Let's let's do a Barcelona levers, thing and call levers. Them, um, yeah, yeah, the levers. Well, no, the, <laughs> yeah, it's not really levers. No, it's, it's not. It's just mechanisms. It's, mechanisms is mechanisms. In, in, just like the process, so that works yeah. fine. So um, the the 
so the first mechanism you use is designated players. You guys have heard us talk about DPs all the time. So any player that makes more or their, excuse me, that their cap charge is more than $683,750. And in fairness, we should discuss what makes a cap charge first. So the, the charge of a player is their guaranteed compensation over the period of their contract averaged out over those years, plus their transfer fee also averaged out over those years. Okay. So if you paid a $10 million fee for a player on a three-year contract, they've already gone way over the DP threshold just on their transfer fee. Their, their, their compensation sort of becomes irrelevant at that point, but you're, you're taking their salary over the term of the contract plus any transfer fee. And you're adding them all together and averaging them out over the term of their contract. That is how you come up with their annual, uh, charge against the salary cap. If that figure is over $683,750, they are eligible to be classified as a designated player. Designated players um, generally are worth way more than that value. But at any rate, the whole point of it is like, if you are classified as a designated player, then your charge is exactly that 12.5%. So 683750 so every player that's designated as a DP, you have three of those per team, is their their total cap charge. No matter how much you pay him, how much you paid in a transfer fee, like Lionel Messi, who's making $25 million a year, his cap charge is $683,750. You can pay them $100 million. Their cap charge would be $683,750. So I wonder DPs, if he knows that. I'm sure he knows that. You think he does? Sure he, I don't, I don't well, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure he cares that right. much, but <laughs> I, I think I think he understands the concept of what designated players are. Right. They can only have so many of them. Um, apparently, Luis Suarez is going to be a TAM player. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> Although the, the word I've heard is like to be determined based on league rulings. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, they're going to make they're going to make another DP role. But it's a whole separate conversation we can have here in a minute. Um, the 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 point is. The designated player uh, slot, the designated player designation, which each team is allowed to have up to three, is for any type of excess player. They can You can pay them anything, literally anything, and their cap charge is only $683,750. So these are the most... These, this is the David Beckham rule, as it became to know, because when they signed David Beckham, that's when they created this rule where you can give a player any, le- any level of compensation, they only hit the cap a certain amount. So those players generally you want to be, and there are some caveats to this, but generally you want to be the most impactful players on your team that are making the most amount of money. Mostly scoring goals. Correct. Or being unbelievably good at ensuring you don't get scored on. Yeah. Either you're scoring goals or you're ensuring goals are not scored. <laughs> the two most important things in soccer. <laughs> scoring goals and not getting scored on. Um, so generally that's what you're gonna you're gonna see with those. So those are the ones that their 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 charge is exactly the max budget charge. Then you have what we call TAM players. And so this is when we get into all these crazy mechanisms about allocation money. And I'm not gonna spend 20 minutes just describing how allocation money works. You've got 
players, there are two types of allocation money, general allocation money and target allocation money. Allocation money is used to buy down the charge of a player. So if a player is making more than the maximum budget charge, they're not allowed to be they're not allowed to be charged against the cap for more. They have to be bought down below that maximum budget charge. You have to use allocation money to do it. And there are two types, GAM and TAM. TAM can be used on any player whose budget charge is above 683.750, but not above a million more than that. So 1.683.750 is a quote-unquote TAM player. So you have this certain amount of money. This year, it's $2.4 million in TAM that can be used to buy down the charge specifically of players that make between who not make whose budget charge is between 683750 and 1,683750 so that is Eric Tommy Gotti Kinda if he's resigned Shaoi Russell Voltaire Radia those are the players on the squad that would be quote unquote tam players where you could use this money this bucket this 2.4 million dollars of tam to reduce their budget charge below the maximum Then you have $3.3 million of what is called general allocation money, and that money can be used to buy down the charge of any player. TAM player, designated player, player XYZ, Tim Melia, making $625. You want to buy down his budget charge to become cap compliant. You can apply GAM to that in order to get yourself cap compliant. The reason I say that the cap becomes sort of irrelevant is because realistically, you're looking at the cap plus all of your allocation money, that is your salary budget. That is what you're trying to meet within, right? So this year, that salary budget is 1.17 million, or excuse me, 11.17 million. So $11.17 million is the total of the cap plus TAM plus GAM. And you can trade GAM, but not TAM. Correct. TAM is not tradable. TAM must be used. And it is do- and TAM does not carry over either. You cannot carry over TAM. GAM, there are some circumstances when you can carry it over from year to year. Um, the allocation of GAM that you get in a given year cannot be carried over. But you can receive GAM. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about this. <laughs> it, it, no, Drew, it's perfect. It's the perfect time of year to do this because it's time to like sign up for healthcare, and they are similar. They're, they're, they're just similarly oh God, they're like just, opaque and yeah, and it's just like a Rube Goldberg like, of nonsense. It's it's like it's like are you in the healthcare fund or are you in a PPO? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay, so anyway, realistically though, so um, TAM can only be used on TAM players. So again, between. 683750 in a cap charge and 1,683750. They have to be used on those players and those players only. It does not carry over. It is not tradable. GAM is tradable. Uh, you'll have seen that Sporting Kansas City received some GAM in trades last year for some international roster spots because they've been really good about getting green cards. We'll get to international spots here in a second. But they're that that helps them right that it helps them get additional allocation money they can use to buy it on the cap charge of players so they can raise that salary budget above 11.17 million to let's say 11 and a half million or something along those lines the additional way that you can receive gam is via uh, external transfers so so you can be it can be traded to you you'll see a lot of like the like the colorado rapids of the world the the fc dallas of the world who don't really go out and get external transfers transfers they use their gam um specifically to trade for players and then they sell a lot of players externally which allows them to add gam to their coffers um 
the way that that rule works, there's a percentage of a transfer fee that can be recouped in GAM. And that GAM does have a certain number of years that it needs to be spent. It doesn't have to be spent immediately. It can be spent over time. Um, Sporting Kansas City hasn't had an external transfer of any significance since Busio. I'm fairly certain that all that GAM is gone now. And, and, um, and since he was home and they kept all the GAM. They kept all of it, yeah. There's a, there's a 75% rule of the profits of the sale when it comes to how you can get GAM, and it's a maxed out at a million fifty. So that's the other thing you have to remember. The most amount of GAM you can get from external transfer is a million fifty, and that is exactly what Sporting got for Busio. But that was a couple years ago now, and I'm, I'd be amazed if any of that was still available um, based on the spending that they've done and the math that I've done on the roster the last couple of years. So that that has long since been utilized. Um, there is some leftover stuff, I think, in the trades they made for international roster spots because I think some of that was 2024 GAM that they got. So if you look at some of those trades, if you look at the inner MLS trades that include allocation money, you'll see it'll be like 2023 GAM this much, 2024 GAM this much. The the teams they're trading with are trying to pull from two coffers in order to not like overextend themselves in a certain year. And it also creates some more flexibility for the team re- receiving that stuff in the, in the upcoming year. So I think that there is some that they got out of that. I'd have to really dig through some things to come up with a, a real number. And in fairness... It's not that important because what I'm estimating as a cap charge for a player is probably only right, only about 90% right. So as I go through this exercise with a spreadsheet and trying to figure out exactly what everybody costs and what their their availability is, and, and Cam actually asked this in the Discord, he's like, are you actually averaging out people's comps over years to figure out exactly what their cap charge is every year? I'm not. Um, I I'm being as directionally accurate as I can, but there's so many details that I would literally have to spend hours parsing through data just to, just to get like 2% closer to reality. And I'd still be 8% wrong. You know what I mean? So from that perspective, I don't think it's that important to get to that level. It's just understanding that I know that if I put a thing together and the million over, that they're not getting there, yeah. right? Yep. If I'm 300,000 over, Maybe. they might get there, yeah. right? But if they're a million over, it ain't happening. Like they don't have that much flexibility. And so that's how I look at it when I do the math related to what these players' cap charges are likely and how it goes together and whether or not there's space for certain activity. So I hope that that was helpful. Cody, do you have any questions? <laughs> because I know that I, I understand this because I live in it a lot more than most people do. But I also understand that um, not everyone does. Uh, I know all of these things, but it's always amazing to hear them, uh, to hear all of these sort of roster rules uh, spoken out loud because it's just uh, it's just pure insanity, man. It's a uh, it's a hilarious league that we follow and 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 love. Well, and um, there's a whole thing I didn't talk about where only the first twenty roster spots actually count against uh-huh. the cap, and you've got you've got twenty one through thirty that don't even count against your cap charge, but those can only be filled by certain players. And then there's the whole international roster spots. You can get eight per year, but if they have a green card, they don't See, count. See, this is so, the funny thing. Like yeah. every mechanism you explain, you have to then also explain it by explaining all three more mechanisms. It's yeah, it's all the caveats. It's hilarious. It's unbelievably complicated and there are dependencies to all of them. And it and so I don't want to try to spend an entire podcast talking through them all. There is MLS has them all on their website. 
at least the ones that I know <laughs> they have on their website. The ones that I'm talking to you about and parsing through are on their website and you're welcome to read through them. But I think for the purposes of this conversation, I think we've addressed them all except for the uh, third DP U22 rule, right? Which I think is important that we discuss. Yeah. So uh, MLS started the U22 initiative two years ago. This is um, an initiative to bring more young players into a team. Um, basically, the rule is that you are able to sign any player under the age of 22 or 22 or under. You're able to sign a player of the age of 22 or under to a contract. You can pay any transfer fee you want for this player. Their maximum salary has to be under the TAM max or the TAM minimum, which the budget cap max, let's put it that the budget charge max, which is 683, 750 this year. Last year it was like 612 something. So that's why Chinese is on 612, 500. He's on the max. Um, they have to be their, their, their compensation, their guaranteed comp has to be at or below the maximum budget charge. And other than that, you can pay any transfer fee you want for them. You can do anything you want with them. And they only hit the cap for 150 or 200 grand, depending on their age. I think under the age of 20 or 20, 20 or under, they're at um, 150 on the cap. Above 21, 21, 22, they are 200,000 on the cap. And they are, they're at that rate all the way up until they turn 25. So they're the, the season they turn 25 is the last year they can count as a U22 player. If that makes any sense. <laughs> they're not under 22. That makes sense. But they're a U22 player until they're 25. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the season they turn 25, which is very similar to the homegrown rule, is whether a homegrown can be on the supplemental roster or not. I, again, I, I, guys, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this. Just know that U22 players, as long as they are signed when they are 22 or under, they can be a U22 up until the season they turn the season they turn 25 is the last year they can be a U22. Um, so we have three of those players. On the, each team is capable of having signing up to three of those players. We have Chinese in Denbe Volator. Those are the three U22 players on the team. We pay transfer fees for all of them. They're all making various amounts of money um, under the, uh, the budget cap max. And um, the reason that we're able to have all three of those is because our third designated player is underneath the TAM maximum, right? So, there are two two re two ways that you can have all U twenty two slots available. One of them is your third designated player is a young DP, so they are a U twenty three player, twenty three or under, or so your DP. And again, this could be this would be like Tiago Almada would be a good example of this, right? Tiago Almada is twenty three years old. They paid a massive transfer fee for him. He is you know making a lot of money for Atlanta United. He's definitely a DP by all definitions of it, but he is twenty three or under. So he can be their he can be their DP that allows them to continue to sign three U twenty two players, or if your third DP that is designated as a designated player is below the TAM maximum budget charge, which is as we noted earlier a million over the max budget charge. So in this case, one point six eight three seven fifty. So last year we had Eric Tommy listed as a DP. He was absolutely um, tamable. Tamable. He yeah. was at a million five fifty, I think, was his comp. So he was underneath the maximum. That is what allowed us to maintain three U twenty two players last year. That one is the the reason I highlight that one is because Vermees has even been outspoken saying that that rule may be going away next year. Yeah, they mentioned that so, on the uh, on the playoffs uh, feed over the weekend. 
So the whole concept, the whole conversation about a fourth DP is a lot of rumor, but the the conversation about the third DP no longer having to be a young DP or tamable is a real deal thing that seems like is happening. So that does allow some additional flexibility for Sporting Kansas City, but not as much as you may think. And I'll get to that here in a minute. Um, but the, it does it does help alleviate the need to maintain um, a young DP or a tamable DP in that third spot in order to maintain you for three U twenty two spots. Riveting. Sorry, I know. <laughs> I had to fill just, the dead space with something. No, it's uh, it's fine. Well, no, it's, I, it's a necessary thing, and <laughs> and uh, um, you know when you know when when fans are confused about why Sporting doesn't bring in this player or that player, or why you know we don't uh, improve the roster um, at certain spots. This is why, right? It's it, it's not it's not so easy. It's just not, you know, things are easier to understand with the NFL, which has like a, you know, a, a hard salary cap. uh, No, but their shit's really, their shit's really obtuse too. like understanding like the first year contract and spreading a bonus and all this other stuff. Like you can like how many, like Joe Tooney restructured his contract this year. So they would have the chiefs to create enough uh, cap room for them to be able to sign some players. Joe Tooney makes exactly the same amount of money as he did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. nothing changed about the amount of money that he made this year, but they did some sort of restructure and turned it into a bonus so that they could like, (laughs) trust me, it's still just as convoluted. (laughs) It's just convoluted in different ways. Right. And I, I think the difference is in the NFL, all the information is fairly public. Yeah. And if you're, a guy running over the cap.com and that is your job. You can come up with all the information necessary to tell you amateur GM exactly what could happen, mm-hmm. right? Everything I'm about to tell you about sporting Kansas city's cap position is a sort of measurement. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a defined measurement. It's not like this is exactly true. I know it's not exactly true. I know that it's generally accurate and directionally accurate as we like to say in the business world, but not 100% like, written in stone correct and i think that's the part about mls that's frustrating to a lot of people is not only are all there are all these weird mechanisms that you have to understand all the interdependencies of but also there's an opaqueness to the data and what yeah. actually is happening with some of these players and it sounds like at least and it may still be happening but if you ask paul tenorio it sounds like at least up until the last couple of years there were many, many teams mm-hmm. openly cheating mm-hmm. a salary cap yep. <laughs> um, and some very aggressively. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, there's just not a, there's not enough um, oversight to, to, because the rules are so complicated and because things can go from different places that there's, and the MLS office is just not robust enough. They can't keep, uh, keep track of all of it. Yeah. So that, that's a whole separate conversation that we can have at a different point in time. But it does, to your point, lead to some frustration regarding, hey, why don't we sign this guy? And um, we do have to take Vermees at face value when he says, well, we've got limited capability to make signings or whatever. And when I've heard him say that, I've agreed with him. Like I've mm-hmm. updated the spreadsheet and gone, I don't see much space here. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So we've talked about all the roster spots again. Um, when it comes to the lower part of the roster, I don't want you guys to get too worried about it. 
Um, once we get below spot 20, again, they don't really count against the cap. The vast majority of our homegrowns and lower compensated players are in spots 20 to 30, 21 to 30. So they're sort of irrelevant uh, when it comes as far as discussing yeah. what, yeah. what, what, what the team's flexibility is and ability to sign new players is those guys are relevant. So like John Polskamp, for example, making 150 grand a year is irrelevant because he's a homegrown and he's under the age of 25 and he's not making more than a certain percentage over the minimum budget charge. So again, sorry guys, I'm just, I'm glazing over some of this stuff because I don't want you to get too worried about it. The reality is John Polskamp's salary is irrelevant to the conversation. Um, and as is a number uh, uh, Robert Castellanos, Caden Pierre, Jake Davis, Danny Flores, Stephen Afrifa, Chris Rindov, Isaac Cisneros. None of these players' salaries are relevant to the conversation about flexibility for signing people, other than it means that there are only two supplemental spots. So if they do want to bring academy players up, there's only two spots on the roster to do it right now. I've also seen vermies get around this shit sometimes too and have more than 30 more than 21 to 30 somehow and then not i trust me it gets a little wild as to how they manipulate this stuff but um i don't want you to worry too much about those players because their salary is basically irrelevant to the flexibility conversation so let's dig into um other restrictions international roster spots another key restriction each team only gets eight per year it's not really a restriction for sporting because they're only, they only have five guys that are using international roster spots right now. And as we know, they're pretty good at getting green cards for players. So that's probably going to go down. I'm not really concerned about international roster spots. Let me put it this way. If they were to re-sign Gotti Kinda and then sign three new international players, which they sort of could do, but it would be really tough under the cap. They'd still be compliant under national spots. So it's also one that while it is a thing, I don't want you guys to get too worried about because it's not a restriction for sporting to be able to sign players. Okay. So, um, what do you want to start? You want to start at depth <laughs> chart? We're going to start at like, yeah. what, what guy do I want the most? Um, so the first thing, you know, we look at like the need areas and depth. I think we would all agree that a, a high quality center back would be an a, a, an important add for this team. The only thing I would say so, in 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 like an argument to that is that they've got five coming back yeah. next year, and they're and they're supposedly renegotiating with Courtney Ford, who, by the way, one of the things you need to, do need to know better about supplemental roster spots. They have to have a comp under a certain level mm-hmm. um, for them to fit on a supplemental spot. I believe that's what they're trying to do with Courtney Ford is they're trying to get him to negotiate a new deal. That's under um, uh, the salary threshold necessary for them to make him a supplemental. I think that's what they're trying to do. So he doesn't have to take up a senior spot. That's what they want. That's right. Cause so, right now he's not on the roster. Correct. He is not on the roster currently. They did not pick up his option for next year, which surprised me because I thought he was a valuable player when mm-hmm. he was healthy. Mm-hmm. Now he's he has health problems, which is of course a concern. But I think that when they did Vermes did say that they were in contact with him to try and resign. I think that their hope is to resign him for a figure that would allow him to be a supplemental roster player, so they don't have to use a senior roster spot on him. Yeah, that would be my expectation. Um. 
So, so what I did is uh, when I was looking at this, is I sort of went through every every position, which is easy because we know the positions because it's always a four three three, and we know, you know, generally speaking, you know, which players on um, currently on the squad uh, slot in at those positions, and and uh, so I sort of rated them, you know. Green, no concern. Yellow, slight concern. Orange, moderate concern, and and red, at high concern. And these are sort of like you know the depth and and what I consider to be the the signing priorities or what should be the signing priorities. Um, and you know like and, and it's obviously colored by my own um, biases and preferences. And and you know I think that. Um, I actually, I actually don't think center back is that big of a, a of an issue. I had um, um, the right side of of the line, so right center back and right back. Um, I had those as as areas that I'm not concerned about at all. Um, I do think uh, I'm moderately concerned about uh, left center back. I think that uh, uh, it would be good to start looking at options for that. I'm super concerned about left back. Um, because uh, we only have really one uh, on the roster at this point and, you know, for the foreseeable future, like maybe deep into next summer. Um, and I'm super concerned about um, uh, defensive midfield because I always am. And uh, because I think, you know, Radia has proved that he is um, a, a high quality player at that position. Uh, Voltaire, less so. And, uh, and Radia has demonstrated a, a consistent inability to stay healthy and so i think that um uh i think that that's a, an area um that that really demands uh some attention um and then the the attacking midfield spot uh is also an area of high con- concern for me because um because <laughs> you know uh um um Kinda is not on the roster currently and um that's a very important spot uh, on the field and so yeah, let's put a pin in that one because I have some thoughts for you on Kinda and and how they manage that role and what might be the best op, best best option for the club there, based on the salary cap structure. Um, so let's put a pin in the attacking midfield one. Okay. Uh, center back, I don't disagree with you. The only my main concern is Fontas is definitely done after this year, right? Like I feel I feel like we can all agree that this is his last year with the club. Yeah. So if that's the case, you've got to have somebody ready to step in. Yeah. And I, I, so one of two things has to happen here. If you don't do anything at the center back position in the off season, other than try to get Courtney Ford as a supplemental roster spot. Now you end up with Rosero Fontas and then Castellanos, Volader, Rindov and, and um, Ford. Yeah. That's a that's not great. <laughs> no, that that's that's a, a starting center back pair who looked decent at the end of last year after they finally got some time together and a bunch of replacement level players. Yeah. Right. And so I, I, I do think that I mean, I can understand where Castellanos works in a break glass in case of emergency kind of thing, open cup, that kind of stuff. He's obviously a Burmese kind of guy and has has been um serviceable when necessary in those circumstances but he's not a guy you want starting several games in a row right yeah it's like emerson royale for freaking tottenham you know what i mean like Uh this is not this is not an ideal situation but we'll deal with it for a couple games if necessary right 
And I, I think that that that's my concern at that position is yeah. that you've got one guy who you feel confident in keeping around for another year or two after this. You've yep. got a guy who's definitely probably in his last year of his contract and probably not going to get re-signed. And then you got a bunch of replacement level players. So yeah. Well, unless, I mean, I do, unless, I do unless, have it as a, as like a threat level orange. Like it is a, it is a concern. Uh, definitely. Unless um, they can figure out how to develop Volator, which they've shown no ability yeah, to do so that far. That is uh, very frustrating. I, I think that, yeah, there's some concern about that. Now, granted they can unload Volator at the end of next year too, but now you're talking about Rosero having a brand new center back partner and some other U 22 player potentially, or whoever, I, I just, I mean, I don't want to look too far ahead to 2025, but if you want 2025 to be successful, you generally can't just plop somebody in in preseason and it's just going to work, yeah. right? And 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 maybe that's okay. MLS, as we've shown, doesn't really fucking matter what you do in the first two months <laughs> of the season. So maybe maybe that's fine. Um, but I I think as I look at who they have signed. I would be surprised to see them make a big splash at center back because yeah. of the the number of players that they're bringing back. But me, I'm like, hey, if there's somebody available, it feels like a good thing. Now, this is where I'm going to come back to what I said earlier about DPs. I think that if you're going to sign a DP center back, it needs to be a guy that you are comfortably confident in the fact is going to be one of the three best center backs in the league for the next three years. Yep. Without question. Yep. You don't make the and and the thing is, I think that the calculus is starting to change on how they invest in DPS, specifically because of how Miami has done this over the last uh, over their uh, over the couple of players they brought in. Right, they have brought in players in Messi and Busquets who are so obviously better than literally anyone else at those positions that they just completely raise the ceiling of the team by mm -hmm. significant amounts. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you can invest anything you want in those players. So why wouldn't you go after that type of now? I'm not suggesting that that sporting should go after 34 year old players that are really, really good, but there are players out of contract that are on money that sporting's ownership could afford that would be reasonable here. And, and, I'm not saying that they would want to go to MLS at this stage, but these are the type of players that I can guarantee you would be in the top three center backs in MLS. And that would be the way to look at it. And if you can't get those players and don't, then just don't do it. Right. I don't think you should be spending a DP, DP spot on our center back unless they are a line changing player and not in the Miazga sort of way. Like <laughs> I'm talking about like, you know what I mean? Like just, so I, I went through, I, I spent about an hour and, and I'm not saying this is easy because I spent about an hour going through this, looking at both central midfielders and center backs. Cause I think those are the areas of biggest need. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. It was hard to find a player out of contract in the next six months. First of all, no one's out of contract at the end of this year, other than MLS and Liga MX players. Okay. If you, if you hold on to that spot until the summer and make that signing in the summer, First of all, how realistic do you think it is that they're going to make that impact right away, especially at a center back position? But secondly, um, that's really where all the best players are. There aren't a lot of center backs out there that realistically could be signed by Sporting Kansas City that aren't like on some massive upswing and like trying to go to the next big team. Yep. The only one that popped out at me, honestly, was Mario Hermoso at Atletico Madrid. He's like 28. 
He's an extremely good center back, like would immediately be the best center back in MLS. It, it wouldn't be even very close. He's out of contract in the summer. Now, granted, Atletico could sign him before the freaking transfer window opens. And, and I suspect that they will try to because he's a very good center back. But that's what I'm talking about. Those are the people we're talking about that I know would immediately be that good. And would be worth investing a ton of money into. And, and that's why I want everybody to be realistic about, hey, who could we bring in realistically? Who could actually be this game changer? Probably not happening in the winter. And if it is happening in the winter, it's not going to be anyone you've ever heard of before. And it's going to be more like, I hope they work out like Denise Buanga did. Or Cujo Hernandez did. Where you found the backup at the team that got relegated or a, a guy playing in league three. Yeah. They just happened to just be in the wrong situation. I, I don't think Eric Dyer's doing anything. Let's uh, he's let's not, see. he's, he's out of contract. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> if something. New, first of all, I know you're joking. <laughs> Secondly, we would both, you, you want to talk about like just the grumpiest podcast of all time. Cause I think you hate Eric Dyer more than I do. I'm not even a Tottenham fan. I don't really care, but man, yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yeah. Eric Dyer is out of contract. (laughs) He is on that list. Um, So I I just, I say all those things to let you know that like, there's not a whole lot out there as far as what, where, where those places could be at left back. I am concerned, but I do think that, um, I think that they will find a um, someone to play that position if Leibold's hurt, if it's not Volater. Okay. And I, I think that um, from that perspective, I think that's the best way to go about doing it. You have a, a $500,000 a year, former Bundesliga left back. He's your starter. You find a backup for him. You're not trying to sign another starting quality left back when you already have two, just one of them's injured. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that that's a, I don't think it's a smart way to build a roster. I think on the right side of defense, I have some concerns about Pierre's health for sure. Yeah. But again, those are the two you, you have two you have, you're too deep at both of those positions. I honestly, healthy. I had, I had completely forgotten um, that uh, Robbie Volater could, can play left back. That changes, uh, that changes the way I think about that position. For he's sure. he's not um, ideal, but he right. can do it. Right. Um, defensive mid is a concern for me, but I don't think you're spending a DP spot on it. We should. We are, dude. We're already paying. I know. Money a bunch I, of money I know. I know. I know. He, and it's he's not, and he's and he's very good. So you're right. Yeah. You're right. I, okay, so let, let's put a pin in the defensive mid one because I have some ideas on that one. Voltaire has been re-signed, so he's here. So he's going to play right. Uh, Hernandez is ostensibly his backup, which I'm actually okay with. It. There's no longer the Roger Espinosa or Felipe Gutierrez crutch there. Mm-hmm. My understanding with Felipe is he was barely able to practice at the end of the season, so that I'm not, I wasn't really surprised that he was able to – that he was released. Um on the left side, it's either it, do we re-sign Kenda or not, Eric Tommy, and then I guess Cisneros is probably the other option at those positions. Um, Shallowy Chanice, Russell Shelton, and then and center forward we've I got Polito and Agata. I think that the 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 wing, uh, both wing positions are worth looking at. Um, I think we have plenty of of players in depth at center forward. 
Um, but the but you know the the situation on the wings is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, I mean, obviously Shallowy is great. He's in the prime of his career. He's um, he's frankly he's one of the best players on the team in my opinion. And um, and a lot of the numbers I think back that up. Uh, Jonis has not pro- proven like that he can be an impact player at all. Um, and so if that's the backup of that position, I think Could- that that uh, that it needs some attention. Can I do a little bit of devil's advocate on Chinese? Go for it. Remember how terrible Shallowy was for two years? Yeah. Yeah, but he was he was he young. was, he he, was Chinese. He, he was, was even younger age. than Chinese. Really? You think? No, he... Shallowy's 27 now, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Shallowy's worst years were when he was like 23, 24. But he's but, but Shallowy has always been a player who um even even when he wasn't playing and getting on the field, um, you could tell he had finishing quality. And Shonis is not. Um, I don't. I, I don't have that feeling about Shonis at all. And I, I mean, I would be. I, I would love to be wrong. I hope that I am. But um, I don't know. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't really shown a lot so far. So. Uh, well, and this leads into one of the questions that Cam asked, which is: so the team gets one quote-unquote buyout, contract buyout yeah. per year, right? Off-season buyout, if you want to call it that. They call it an off-season buyout, but it has to be done by a certain certain time for it to, to get them freedom off of the cap. It allows them to buy out one contract and completely, and then they're still employed by MLS and any team can sign them or an MLS sort of negotiates it. And I don't want to get into all the mechanics of that, but re- re- regarding Sporting Kansas City, they would be off the roster, their cap charge would be gone, they could remove them, Right. There's also the waiver situation they did with a couple players this year, but they ended up having to cover a lot of their comp, both Ben Sweat and Uri Rossell. You remember Uri Rossell played for the team this spring? You remember that? <laughs> that seems, I mean, wow. I mean, I was going to say it seems like 10 years ago, but literally he did play for the team 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years, so, yeah. yeah. Both of those things are true. Yeah, wow. Um, so, anyway, the, the, the question is like, what players would be in line for that i if they had another u22 player that they really wanted to get lined up i could see chinese being a part of that i think that that's a pretty unlikely thing to happen given they paid a transfer fee for him and gave him a three-year contract yeah i think it's more likely they would try to find a suitor to take him on Mm -hmm. either on loan or um to buy him versus versus buying out his contract and he's going to have value in Europe at some level it, it may not be the level they want but at least to get him off of their roster and get the U22 slot open um they would do that the really you're only going to use a buyout on non U22 senior rostered players so it's the only people that you're going to do that on um any of the ones that would offer a significant um impact to the salary cap they're not doing it too. They're not giving, they're not buying out Eric Tommy. Like he's not going anywhere. No. Um, you're not buying out Johnny Russell. They just picked up his option. You're not buying out Remy Voltaire. They just picked up his option. They're not buying out Radia. Of course not. The, the, com- the one that comes up every single time, we know which one it is, <laughs> is Kyrie Shelton. Yeah. And I'm just sorry. It's not happening. No, it's not happening. Like he's their right wing depth. Yeah. He is a Vermese guy. There is absolutely no freaking way that um, he's getting bought out. So from that perspective, it's not like we've seen in previous years where like there are some significant underperformers on this roster that need to be removed so we can figure out how to replace them. Mm -hmm. 
I, Kyrie, in my estimation, actually played up exactly yeah. to his contract Agreed. value this Agreed. year, especially over the second half of the year. Yeah, well, he I mean, put, I do think he's making probably more money than he should, but that's yeah. But I mean, he was I, fine. I think. I think for a 29 to 30 year old um, MLS veteran sure. that is yeah. uh, can play at right wing whenever you need him to, yep. he's making exactly the money he should be making. Con- <laughs> candidly, like, I mean, look at like think about any sort of re- replacement level player. Like, um, mm-hmm. who did I see come into um, the Columbus game? It was Kevin Molina. I want to take a look really quick because I mean I think that that's a that's a comparable um, sort of type of player, right? Is a Kevin Molina. That's that's Kyrie Shelton, is it not? I mean, Kevin Molino is uh, like ten times more creative, um, but Kevin Molino makes two hundred thousand dollars more than Kyrie Shelton. Yeah, does. yeah, and he plays about the same amount. Yeah, but um, I mean, but I mean, I, uh, I'm I'm fine and, keeping Shelton. I'm fine keeping him. I mean, I am more concerned about the right wing spot than I am about the left wing spot, just in terms of like long term roster implications. Um, you know, part of the problem with the way that 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 the team is constructed um, is that 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 the window is constantly closing on the team, right? Because it's so it's it's consistently so. Uh, veteran heavy um, and we have so many players who are over the age of 30 um, that that you're you're constantly needing to refresh uh, uh, that and think about you know what lies beyond and 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 you know uh, we've talked about it before you know for these players who are in their mid-30s or even older than that like the bottom the bottom can drop out at any time right like we all love johnny russell he's great he's a captain of the team um i think he had a really strong year he you know had double digit goals plus assists but you know <laughs> i mean the the bottom the bottom could drop out next year and he could and he could be just like immobile and and not an additive force on the soccer pitch and so you have to plan for those um those possibilities and and the team yeah, is so- and the team is not the club has not been the greatest at preparing themselves for that thing um in the past and i hope that they've learned their lesson and that's a philosophical question sure. more than it is the the sort of mathematical and nuts and bolts question that we're sure. getting into right now. Sure. So the, the now both of them they're they're intertwined, right? Because your philosophy has to do with what players you decide to sign and keep, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I would again, without spending too much time getting onto this, I would say from a devil's advocate perspective, you don't you don't not bring Russell back for the same comp he was making. He was absolutely oh, worth a million dollars yeah. a year that he was, ma- that he was made last year. And if he gives you 80% of the, the, the value he did last year, yep. he's absolutely worth bringing back. I right? agree. So all, all I'm I saying think, is that you have to start thinking about the next Johnny Russell and it's not Kyrie Shelton. It's not. And, and I think that that's fair. And I think that that's what they thought they were doing with Marino's Chinese and whether that can, whether they're still trying to figure that out next year or not, is a separate conversation about their ability to develop youth players, which is a whole other thing that we've gotten into on this podcast that we're not going to do tonight. But um, yeah, for sure, I think we're thinking about a lot of these things in a vacuum of what could plug in or whatever. But there are interdependent variables related to how these players actually fit within the team, whether their skill set fits within the game model whether the game model can be adapted to make them successful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, I think from just a spreadsheet perspective of like thinking about what their capability is to make changes, I think we can agree that a winger 
a central midfielder and a center back are probably the most, the areas of biggest need. Wouldn't you say that? Uh, uh, a, a winger, a central midfielder and a center back. Correct. Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I was looking an area of priority based on who is signed to the roster right now, I would probably say central midfielder is number one, wingers number two, center backs number three of those three. Would you not yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Okay. If, if they don't resign uh, Kinda, it's a it's a really big deal. Well, let me see if it is a really big deal. So let me, let me talk you through this for a second. <laughs> Hold on. Not it may not as be as well. It is and it isn't. So let me explain why. This is where we get into the math part of this conversation, which is extremely difficult for me to uh, qualify for you in a uh, podcast medium. But I want you to just be really clear on something. And this is where we talk about the value of not having to make Eric Tommy a DP and you know having another DP spot that's a full DP, et cetera, et cetera, whether that's valuable or not. I actually went through the math of this. And again, most of this is related to their compensation last year. And so I don't have the complete averages and all that. But Tommy made $1.55 million guaranteed comp last year. So that would be his budget charge before allocation money is applied to him. When he's a DP, you have to pay no, you, you use none of your TAM to buy down his charge. And he's at 683 750 If you move him down off of a DP position so you can open up two designated player spots, and when I say that, you have an open one because Kinda has not resigned, and Kinda was a designated player more because of his transfer fee than his compensation. Um, now that his transfer fee is off of his charge, you would expect that he could probably be signed for under the TAM max. I don't know how far under the TAM max, but given that he spent a whole year injured, you would think that there's some negotiation room there as far as what his actual comp would be. Um, also, if he wants to stay in MLS. Sporting Kansas City holds all the cards. They made him a bona fide offer, mm-hmm. which is 10% above his previous comp. So that's right at a million bucks, basically. No other team can try to claim him in MLS. He'd have to sign outside of MLS if he wanted to leave. So he either accepts that offer or negotiates for a little bit more than that, or he leaves. Okay, so that's the first thing to know about Kinda. Um, so you have a DP spot open, a full DP spot open because of Kinda. I don't think sporting is going to sign him to a DP contract. I just don't see that happening. No. Um, he is not a $1.7 million a year player. No. As much as I like Gotti Kenda. Yes. He is not a $1.7 million a year or more player. No. Okay. So they're trying to sign him for some sort of TAM deal. Um, so it may seem like we have two DP spots open at that point, but not really. Because when you consider the fact that you also have Tommy at 1.5, Shallow at 1.1, Russell at 1 million, or maybe a little bit more than that if there's a raise in that option year, Voltaire's probably at 900, Roddy is at like a million. There, there's a number of guys over that threshold that $2.4 million of TAM needed to buy their cap charges down and get them under the cap threshold goes away really quickly when you have that number of players making that far over the TAM, the, the, uh, the max charge threshold moving Tommy from a DP down to a TAM player immediately puts the team um, right against the salary cap without signing Kinda. So that's if Kinda does not resign at all and you want to leave two T do two DP spots open Tommy being a TAM player immediately puts them directly against the, the uh, cap threshold. 
So like within a 200 grand of it. So not only would you have to sign two DPs, maybe a center midfielder and a winger and say goodbye to Gadi Kinda, but you'd also have to use your third roster spot on for 200 grand for probably a backup left back or something like that. Like you were talking about. Right. right? And, and that's it. That's all you end up doing for the whole season. And, the reason I say I that mean, is because I want I, mean, I want everybody in, to understand. Bringing in two DPs would be a pretty big deal. Like it would be a huge know. deal. Or or what you what is more likely to happen is they bring in one DP and then another one in the summer. Yeah, that's more likely to happen. Um, I do like the 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 potential for Sporting to see how the first five months go and then adjust their signing philosophy based on how the team actually plays for sure. I like that. Um, the best teams that have been successful at winning MLS cups tend to make big additions in the summer. Sporting has not made a big summer addition in a long, long time. And I think that that is, has been a competitive miss for them. They're very much just like trying to solidify themselves throughout the summer and get the, the ads that they had really ingrained versus actually making a substantive change in the summer. I mean, obviously they signed Tommy and Agata in the summer last year and it did help them be more successful in the second half of 2022, but it wasn't like getting them in the playoffs or anything. It was more just like being less terrible. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it, it, it is, it, it is something to sort of consider, but I just want to be clear about the fact that, if they re-sign Gotti Kenda at anywhere near, I mean, he's going to be, it would be over his previous compensation. We know that. Gotti's not going to re-sign for less than he was making before. Yeah. So he's going to be making probably, let's say, let's call it $1.2 million a year. If they were to sign Gotti Kenda for $1.2 million and leave Eric Tommy as a non-designated player, they would have zero cap space available for anything else other than signing two DPs, which Maybe a way you want to go. Like, I understand that. But I'm just telling you, when they move Eric Tommy back up into a DP slot, they all of a sudden create another, like, $800,000 in cap flexibility. And now, all of a sudden, you can see where things can go in a different way. The second thing that you can do... Well, actually, I'm sorry. They would have... If they re-sign Gadi Kenda... Let me back up for a second. If they re-sign Gadi Kenda at 1.2 million, Tommy has to be a DP. Period. It's the only way that they can make that work. And they have one DP spot left in Gadi Kenda, and they've got like about 700 grand in flexibility for other signings. You know, let's call it 600 to 800, somewhere in that range for additional signings. So there is some like maneuvering that's happening here while they're trying to decide who do we sign and why. And my thought process is this, as we ranked them out, we said DP center midfielder, DP center back, DP or DP winger, DP center back. If the biggest need is a high quality central midfielder, I'm just going to throw this out here and let you noodle on this for a second. And tell me what you think. Do you re-sign Gadi Kenda as a TAM player? Or do you let Gotti Kenda leave and get a real DP midfielder? And I'm talking like $10 million transfer fee midfielder. Um, <laughs> so, so in a vacuum, um, I would absolutely take the, uh, the, the 
10 million dollar midfielder i would take a true dp midfielder um i i i have to admit like i'm i'm not really confident in the team's ability to make that happen um uh i, I don't maybe that's uh maybe that's just me being like ultra cynical but um i don't know man i uh that's what i would love to have happen honestly uh because when you look at uh when you look at teams uh, the teams who are uh playing in mls cup and the teams who played um in in the conference finals this last weekend uh what you see is is uh, a, a whole host of players every single one of those teams have players um that are have the possibility to be the best player on the field anytime they step on it. And, um, and sporting does not really have that player. Um, they have a lot of very good players, uh, but they don't really have, uh, they don't have a game changer. They don't have a match winner. Um, in, 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 you know, like, like Hector Herrera, like Cucho Hernandez, like Dennis Boanga. Uh, they don't have those type of, of just, you know, super high quality talented players and uh, and i think because i think they're always going to be playing catch up it since they don't have those players uh and and so if if uh if they could sign a, a central midfielder um that that um that it was one of those players i would i would be all for it i'm gonna throw a name out here at you do it let's go just just because he's out of contract in the summer He's one of my favorite players, period. Koke. Okay. He's 31, so he's right in the Peter Vermees age wheelhouse. <laughs> no, but seriously, he's out of contract at Atletico this summer. Uh-huh. He's making like 16 million euro a year right now. He knows he's not going to get any of that yeah. in the future. He knows that he, but he still starts every day for Atletico Madrid. One of the best teams, I, one of the best 15 teams in Europe, period, right? He starts every day for them. And would be perfect in this system. Yeah. Like absolutely perfect. Um, I think he's a way bigger signing than Ache Ache was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I just think that I, I and this is just a name that popped up for me that I just sort of looked at as I looked through all these different ones. Cause Adrian Rabio is not signing for Sporting Kansas City. Okay. Um, <laughs> It'd be hilarious if he did, though. It would be hilarious. I mean, his wife's kind of crazy, and she's his mom. Agent, so, is, was it his mom? Is his mom. His mom's the crazy one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's, there's no telling. I mean, there's been a number of Juve players that have come to come to um, uh, MLS lately. I. But anyway, I don't see Adrian Rabio making that change. But uh, I would be, it would be entertaining. If oh, man. Oh, it would be so good, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he would, uh, 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 that it would, he would not last very long at all. I can tell no, you that. No, not a Vermees guy. Nope. Not a Vermees guy at all. But nope. Koke is a Vermees guy. Yeah. That is a Vermees type of player. Uh, so that that's again, that's why I brought it up. I mean, I, I there there aren't a ton out there. Uh, Castrovilli, Fiorentina, but he's been injured a lot, so I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of like guys like of the Denis Boanga ilk who are kind of like a little uh, bit lower level cusp, top yeah. league top league players, but are kind of in their prime. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what could what could actually be a fit 
like, I mean, I don't, I mean, as much as I love Luka Modric, I don't want him coming to Sporting Kansas City to be a DP. Um, so, so I just want to point Isco, out. Isco was an interesting one for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, don't be mad. You like Isco. I, know oh, I do. do. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Um, and he's a former Bar. He, well, he's Real Madrid, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah he was so, Real Madrid. Hey, hey, Real Madrid. He's at Batiste and he's out of contract. Yeah. So, I mean. There's a few interesting ones out there, but um, again, 31 years old, kind of on the wrong side of 30. I'm thinking of like where I just before we continue this conversation, I just want to point out that that even before um, any uh, any possible signing, uh, our our opening day roster is probably seven of the 11 players are going to be over the age of 30. So. I'm just going to put that out there. So I'm going to say two things about this, right? And I think the first one I'm going to say is I think that you're correct about the fact that you need to be aware of this and have backup plans for it and have the right youth players ready to jump in that can be serviceable or potentially be serviceable replacements for them when necessary. The other thing that I would say is like they're the only teams on earth that are only fielding 27 year olds are Manchester City and PSG. Yeah, okay? yeah. So like, sure, but 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 Sporting is has been one of the oldest teams. Like this year they 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 fielded the the 7 the, of the, 11 the Atletico second... Madrid starters are 31 or over. <laughs> okay? Like Atletico but, Madrid. But those like, are those are a much higher quality player. I mean, it's I those are apples that, and oranges, man. Come on. I mean, they're apples and oranges from comparing the 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 quality of the players, but what I'm saying is is like it doesn't necessarily mean that because they're old that they're washed. And, and I think that that that's the point that I'm trying to make. No, is no, that, but, no, but it does mean it does mean that they are more uh, susceptible to injury, and and MLS rosters are not deep enough to uh, to accommodate for that. Unless you're doing a good job of bringing youth players in, <laughs> and, and that's that's the issue. Right. Like I understand, I understand where your concern comes from, and your concern comes from the fact that what we saw at the beginning of the season, which was half the teams injured we're fucked yeah we don't we can't even put out a a semblance of a positive team right and the excuse was i don't have all of my old players that are injured Mm -hmm. right yep and i think that that is a fair grievance yeah right and 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 one that the team needs to learn from and i think that there's a separate conversation we, we need to have and maybe it's next week about where are these young players coming from? And that's why I do believe that when I, I'm sort of tongue in cheek talking about um, Koke and Isco and guys that are 31 that, you know, could be potentially had um, is that there needs to be a little bit different thought process about how they make these signings. And maybe they need to be more in South America and looking in those places and finding players who are closer to, their prime. Um, there was a center back at River Plate that I think is really good. That's like twenty. Like they, there's some stuff like that that like you start looking at some of those types of places where you can young DP. Uh, th- there is some value in doing a young DP as well. While it doesn't do anything for U22s, young DPs only count two hundred grand against the cap instead of six eighty three. So there's right. you save five hundred thousand dollars in cap charge at that point too. So there, there's some other things that are that are actually valuable about looking at young DPs and and finding the Tiago Amada type players and bringing them into your team as well. And I'm not saying the scouting department's not doing those things, but we certainly haven't seen the, an impact of it lately. And, um, you know, 
one of the questions Cam had brought up, which I think is completely valid, is that we're kind of one out of three at our U twenty twos. Yeah, and and the one out of three is injured until the middle of the summer. <laughs> yeah, it's not so great. <laughs> I, it's not it's not ideal, and I think that you know there's something to be said about that, but there's also something to be said about the fact that evaluating a 20 year old player is hard. Yeah. Like figuring out which ones are actually going to come good. Yeah. It is difficult. The, the, um, the, the sure things uh, are not signing in MLS. Think about how, how good we thought things were going to be with, when Fuller and Balogun decided to play for the U S men's national team. Yeah. And he's been kind of hot garbage for the last 18 yeah. months or not 18, like eight months, but Ricardo Pepe is scoring goals for fun. Now, mm-hmm. this is what happens with young players. They go through waves. Of cap- <laughs> I mean, they're not all Erling Holland, right? You know? <laughs> like right. some of them just take some, they're not all Jude Bellingham. They, they, some of them take a minute they, and they, they, while their growth trajectory, as you average it, is directionally upward there are it's a sinusoidal wave going up in that direction right and i think that that's something we need to be cognizant of and i i I have concerns about our current head coach and his ability to deal with poor performances of young players and and kind of work through them yeah um and and how that how that functions in this roster and so i think a potential sort of accept like like we have to be accepting of the fact that 29 to 31 year old signings are going to be kind of the norm Mm -hmm. yeah because of the staff the technical staff the coaching staff that we have the system they want to run yep the type of players that they're going to end up signing that they can get a hold of are going to be in that age bracket because that that's who they can get that can functionally execute what they want to do yep 100 percent it just makes it really frustrating as as a fan because, um, you know, you 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 would love the the, the club to sign young players, but well, but you know, but you know, it's hard not to build. Play. It's hard to get another Roger right. Espinosa or I mean, Graham Zusi well, when when they're when they're when everybody you sign is thirty or thirty one years old. Uh, those the, those guys are successful because they played. Um, that's my argument to that, right? I mean, you have to play young players. I mean, Logan and Denbay was successful can I ask you because a question, he played. Though? Yeah. Do you think? Do you think Roger Espinosa would play regularly on this team if right now? As a rookie? No. Yeah. Hell no. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, the only reason we, uh, I'm starting to get I'm starting to get uh, agitated. Um, the only reason Jake Davis played was because. Uh, just like everybody in front of him got injured, and he's not even a right back. He and, had to be slotted and, and, in and, there. And Cameron and, Duke and Cam like Duke, the worst right. right back performance I've ever seen. Right, right. Uh, and who that's is, it. Who, by the way, is no longer with the team as we suspected. Yeah. So, so, um, so Jake Davis is is literally the fourth choice. Um, and so, um, I, I just against I, I, an against a uh, like an amateur club in U.S. Open Cup, right? Like they played, yeah, Tulsa Athletic, and and Cam Duke did not perform against that. No, 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 you well, like no, Jake, can't, no, no, Jake, Jake started at right back in that yeah. Open Cup match. It was the game Tulsa. before that. That was that what an MLS an MLS game. It was an that, MLS. That Cam, it was an MLS yeah. match that Duke just absolutely shat the bed, yeah. and um. And then Jake started at right back against Tulsa in the third round of the Open Cup. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were playing against a, a, an amateur team or mm-hmm. a semi-pro team, I guess is the best way to describe them. And they're semi-pro. They weren't amateur because they did. Some of them did receive salaries. <laughs> and Jake started at right back in that game. And it was the basis of his performance in that game that allowed him to play more. That's wild. I mean, yeah, really. 
but if it was an MLS match, do you think I, I maybe Jake doesn't play? Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 there's a whole lot of what ifs and I can, un, I totally understand your perspective. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is, is that I, there's some realities we have to accept when mm-hmm. it comes to the process by which we look at what can this team realistically do next yeah. year. Right. Yeah. So what players can they realistically sign? So one of two things are going to happen here. They are going to re-sign Gotti Kenda, leave Eric Tommy as a DP, and try to go. And they, they do, at that point, they do have the ability to um, go get a decent DP and a just above TAM player. So let me do this math. Let me do this real quick. I'm just going to I gotta do a little cut and paste and I can give you some exact figures here. Okay. So you're saying, you're saying resign Gatikinda. Resign Gatikinda. And which uh, I, I'm talking about what I think is most likely to happen right. versus what like in Drew's fantasy land would happen. Right. Um, so resign Gatikinda, make, uh, make, um, Tommy, one of the three DPs, uh, Polito's the yeah. other DP, and then you would sign um, a, a third DP. You would sign, yes. So, and where yeah. would you? And where? And so, 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 so if you've already, so if you, if you, if you were to do those things, you would have, um, you would. So, if you were to make Tommy your third DP, resign Gotti Kenda to let's say a million to a year. And um, then you would have a DP spot, a full DP spot available for anybody, and between six and eight hundred thousand dollars to spend on other positions on the roster. And you have okay. two slots left. You yeah. have two senior roster spots left. So maybe you spend you know two hundred on a backup left back, and um, you've got like let's say four to six hundred to spend on another center back or right winger could be youth right winger or something like that. Right. Or they're, Jose they're, Martinez they're, or Jose Martinez. Yeah, you could absolutely. He's a free agent, isn't he? No. Isn't he? Oh, damn it. No. Shit. I don't think you know so. who is a free agent? Joseph Kellen Martinez. Acosta. Oh yeah. No, Hey, Kellen. Kellen Acosta would be great. Honestly. Kellen Acosta is free agent. Great signing. Yep. I would love it if Kellen Acosta was on the team. He's the right. He's the he's the Roger Espinosa type that we want. He is. He is. He's great. I, he's uh, twenty eight. I love him. Yep. Right in his prime. Yep. Like he would actually be a pretty good one. He would be perfect. And he's already, you know, he's played in uh, in the LAFC system, and so you know he has some familiarity with you know playing, you know, multiple roles roles in the in in the four three three, and uh, and I would be much more comfortable with him deputizing at. Um, a defensive midfielder than I am with uh, uh, Remy Voltaire. Uh, that would be a perfect signing, in my opinion. We, you know what'll happen instead is we'll sign Will Trap. <laughs> oh, don't you dare! Don't you dare! Don't you dare! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I knew that that would get you. give me nightmares. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I think, but that—that's what I think is most likely. Is they get Kenda on a deal that is semi-club friendly, 
Um, they leave a DP spot open to either either hit in the offseason or in the summer window, honestly. And they've got some cap flexibility to add in a couple other spots. I would not be surprised if the roster's not significantly different to start the season just because it wasn't bad last year at the end of the year, right? And I think that minus Logan and Denbe, they're they're not in the worst place to start the season with the players they have and kind of see what they need. Yeah. And make a summer signing of significance. Yeah. I because just, the reason the reason LAFC was able to get Denis Bawanga in the winter was because he was playing in the third league in France and it was not a big deal. And the same deal with um with Cucho. Cucho was playing for a team that was about to get relegated and he was the backup. Like it, you can make those signings in the winter because those clubs need that money. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like I mean, I guess we could start like looking at who's, you know, playing for freaking um, Burnley, <laughs> Burnley, yeah. Well, Luca Coliosho is not coming to the Sporting Kansas City as much as I'd love to see that. Um, I, I, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know what what those opportunities are. Right? I, I looked at it a little bit, but I don't think any of those are realistic. So I'm yeah. trying to be like realistic about what they could be doing, and and I think that. I think that it's possible that they might roll into the beginning of the season without making any really crazy changes with a couple small additions and look to maybe make more moves in the summer. Yeah, that uh, as as realistic uh, and pragmatic as that is, that will be underwhelming. I'm just, you know, it will, it will be a little bit disappointing. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, if, can, we, if, can we all chill the fuck out, though, a little bit? Just because, like, when the when all these players were available, this team was the best team in the conference. We got to the freaking conference semifinals, and they and outside of a bad handball call probably would have been in the conference finals. Like, I, yeah, I get, so I, I get, I, I get I, why people are frustrated, but yeah. we need to, like, we got to stop. We got to stop acting like all of a sudden we're going to sign 17 players and just dominate this league. No one does that. No, no one does that. It is, it is, it is a league of parody. It is designed to be a league of parody. Yep. And you don't just, you don't just all of a sudden go out and dominate the league. And I think, I think that there is a certain amount of like sporting Kansas city, like fan culture, which is like ingrained in this fact that we should always be competing for a trophy every year. And I love that mindset. Like we should have it. You should have high expectations of your club. There are almost no teams that have been as competitive as sporting has been over the last 10 years. This is true. (laughs) They've been in like four of the last six conference semifinals. They won four trophies prior to that. Like I, I, I understand the concern and trust me, Cody and I have been very vocal about our issues with some of the things structurally that this club has been doing. Um, and, and with our, like, with just sort of seeing the potential for this to get really like problematic, but I would also say that it's not like we're some shit club. No, I don't, I, I would never say that. Um, um, but, but my, um, my concern is that, uh, the team does not have the top end talent that has, um, that, that other but it never has. Have, it never has. Yeah, but, but 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 I think the the gap is widening. I think is my fear, um, and maybe it's not. Maybe that's my uh, imagination, but I think that it is. I think that the gap is widening between the um, marquee talent 
that certain teams have and the marquee talent that sporting has. Right. So I think, I think that that is true, that there is a gap. I, I said this during watching the Cincinnati Columbus game. I said this to you on text. I'm extremely jealous watching Kucha Hernandez play. He's an unbelievable center forward. He is by far, he is like orders of magnitude better than Alan Polito. I'm not saying that to shit on Polito. I'm just saying Kucho is fucking unreal good. Denise Bowanga. We're going to watch two of my favorite players in the league on Sunday. These guys are wildly good. But the other thing that I would say about that is Denise Bowanga would have been available for Sporting Kansas City to sign. He didn't only go to L.A. Come on. This guy was toiling away in terrible levels of the French pyramid. We could have signed him. We could absolutely have signed him. So... I think that part of this too is just like recognizing where this value is and, and how you, how you maximize it. And I, I, I think that that's my bigger concern is the scouting mechanisms and the player evaluation mechanisms and the stuff we talked about about six weeks ago with Luke Bourne and his statistical models and how they evaluate players and finding the right signings for his team and for like, are there things that other teams are not evaluating appropriately from value from a value perspective? Can sporting do that? Because realistically signing Lionel Messi is not happening for us. Hey, we okay? were close. We were close to Ronaldo, yeah, man. I, I knew you were going to fucking bring that up again. <laughs> I'm not even going to respond to that shit, but what I am going to say is, is that like sporting has an opportunity to utilize some evaluation models at a higher level than other teams are doing. I think that there is a competitive advantage to be had if you do that effectively. And I know everyone thinks, oh, LAFC signed all these great players. No, LAFC went and identified a player that no one else valued. And he's the fucking golden boot winner this year. Yeah. And, and there's and, something to be said he, for that. And they developed him into that and he fits very perfectly the their style of play. And so that, I mean, that, that makes a difference, right? When you, when you put square pegs into square holes, um, things work better. And, and that goes to show that their analytical model, that their evaluation, their analytical evaluation model of players is functioning and functioning at a high level. And yeah, they had to pay a train. I mean, he's a DP and they had to pay a transfer fee for him, but he's like a $4 million guy. It wasn't like totally wasn't it wasn't it it wasn't like they paid some 15 million dollar transfer fee like they did for Tiago Almada in in, in Atlanta. They pay like four million euro for it. But Almada is worth it, too. Right. I mean, like, it's okay to pay money for players. They're they're going to sell Almada for 30 million plus. It's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He's going to the fucking Premier League for 30 million in the winter. I promise you. I know Atlanta's like we want to keep until the summer. Ain't happening. No, ain't happening. There are some Premier League teams that need help real bad yeah. <laughs> that are about to unload the freaking pocketbooks on that one. But I'm saying that um, it, it you can make those injust- – there are certain teams that have made it clear that they can, uh, they can um, take a young South American player from a South American league, turn them into a Premier League star, Miguel Almaron, right? Like – there are Atlanta has a cachet that allows them to continue to sign players like Tiago Almada. Sporting doesn't necessarily need to do that. They need to use an analytical model to an extremely high level that allows them to bring in high quality players that people have overlooked because they miss misunderstood their capabilities and sporting did a better job of understanding them and how they fit. And what concerns me is I don't, when I see the young signings they've made, I don't see that. They're, that's my main concern is that I don't see that fit. 
with their capabilities with the game model and the style. They, they they're not players who raise the ceiling. And 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 that's what we need, and that's what those or other... or they take eighteen months to figure it out. Yeah, that, Logan yeah, and Denbe, sure, right? Sure. And it was it took a bunch of coaching, and I appreciate the fact that Logan's coachable and he figured it out via yeah, coaching. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't like inherent. You you also have to look at return on investment, and you know if you invest you know a couple million dollars in in a transfer fee for a left back, are you going and and then and then develop him for eighteen uh, months? Are are you going to recoup that money? I mean he's a left back, right? You're not selling a left back for, for $15 million. That's not going to happen. And, and so, um, I think, you know, and we talked about this before, it's just, a, it's kind of a, a, a perplexing way to go about, uh, that business. It's, um, he, they don't have to sell them for that much to get their investment back, both from a financial perspective, as well as a cap perspective, they sell them for $3 million and they've made all the money back they need to both financially as well as cap ways. But that's, so, but that's not the point. The, 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 the idea is not to just make your money back. The idea is to, is to, uh, sell for profit and get ahead and, and have that money yeah. that to apply to the next. It's certainly what you would expect or what the point of the U22 system is. <laughs> it seems like but, it. <laughs> but that said, Sporting never really invested that heavily in it, right? Like mm -hmm. they could have spent $10 million on a player. Right, right. They didn't do that, right? They they it's sort of they sort of dipped their toes in the water a little bit and not really went after. And and in fairness, the vast majority of MLS teams have done this. Not sure. not many have made huge splashes with their u22 signings well i mean they're um, using they're using those u22 signings to replace uh the to be a stand-in for the academy kids who for should the homegrowns yeah i mean that's yeah. really yeah yep it's I all agree. it's all it's all connected it's all dominoes you know and we're still we're still a couple years away from the changes to the academy really playing fruit for the first team um and so yeah, there's a whole separate conversation about who could come up from the twos that could potentially be valuable. Um, if we look at the areas where the club needs value. Pau Torres, maybe. I don't know. Um, Benny Fellhaber. Oh, that was a joke. That was a joke. So sorry. <laughs> he could he could be the he could be the uh, Pau Torres. Pau Torres plays respect. Who's the who's the Pau? Uh, who's the guy that played? Who's the center forward? What's his name for SKC two? Um, his first name is Powell. He's Spanish. Uh, damn it. Is it Valdez? I thought it was a, uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, this is what happens is With. I start talking about things that I wasn't even the, the least bit ready to, uh, yeah. Pau Vidal. That's what Vidal. I'm thinking of. Pau Vidal. Anyway, uh, there are, um, potentially players but i just nothing that's like oh can come in and start right like right. Uh, prime example right we're gonna see um we saw well not we're gonna see we saw in the eastern conference final two goalkeepers who were playing for their two team the previous year roman Celentano and um patrick uh schultz they they both played great like great yeah. Everyone talks about young American goalkeepers and the first ones they're talking about is Gago Salina and Chris Brady. I'm like, what about these fucking guys? Yeah, they're good. They they were really good. And they're also in their early twenties. They're not, you know, children. And they're, we they're, we, they, we they, have they, one of those, by the way. 
We do. We do. And I think I think we agree that the right choice was well, obviously it wasn't a choice. I totally forgot that Melia was under contract. He wasn't in an option year. So yeah. Melia was sticking around. And I think another year of Pulse Camp, like getting some time and then being the guy next the year after, I think is the right thing. He'll be 20. John Pulse Camp will be 23 that season. I think it's just like fun. a it's like a baby in goalkeeper years. I was gonna say, like, <laughs> and and he'll have actually gotten a lot of experience to that point, right? And be um a fairly experienced 23-year-old goalkeeper. And I think that's the same thing with Patrick Schulte and the and with Roman Celentano. These are guys who played a lot for their for their the two team and when called upon were capable and ready. And I, I think that there's something to be said for some of that. But yeah, I mean, as far as who we're talking about, Natty Clark, Natty Clark's a right back, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So like, yep. he's probably the only one on the twos that I could see. I mean, Rosa played right back, but he was, he's like a 25 year old Brazilian. I don't see them signing him. <laughs> um, Kobe Jones, the other one, but Jones barely played last year. Yeah. I mean, all of the, all of the players on the twos, of significance were um, um, goalkeepers and and Natty Clark hmm. and and I I wouldn't put it passporting to sign Natty Clark. They've got a couple of supplemental spots. Sign him to the club and then have him as a backup right back option. Like I think that that would make sense. He's yeah. probably the most. But honestly, the best academy players we've got are still like U seventeens. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the thing, right? Is that we're a little ways away from those providing fruit, even if some teams like the union play 16 year olds. I just, we're we're not likely to see that. They have a different playing style and they have a different player pool, frankly, too. And so, um, yeah. Well, and isn't one of them like a central central defender is like 16. So it's like you can't put a 16 year old central defender out there in an MLS game. I just I don't think that that's putting that player in the best position, honestly. You're going to let you're going to let that guy try to go against Cucho. Like, that's not fair to a 16 year old kid. It's just not. It's and it's not good for his development either. It really isn't. Um, So I, I think that there there are, you know, levels to this. Um, but anyway, I, I think that the, the, if I'm going to put a bow on this, cause there's, we're not even going to get into, um, anything else on the run now. Cause we've been going for like in two hours already. Um, there, there is opportunity for the club to make some adjustments. They're not as earth shattering as perhaps some people would like to think they are. This is far from a rebuild. And part of that is because it's the same coach and chief soccer officer that's implementing a plan that he's had that it's that he has several you know steps ahead of him that he is looking at and has been for several years. So there, there's not going to be some massive shift in philosophy here. Um, there is some opportunity, like I said, I, if if I'm if I'm being honest, there's an opportunity to sign a significant de- designated player. Choose your position where that's that designated designated player could be. And and in fairness, I think that that flexibility is good. If you find that crazy DP that you want to sign that's on one of those lines, you just go get them because it would be helpful. You don't necessarily need them in any of those positions, but it would 
obviously be impactful in any of those positions, right? So you've got those opportunities and then you've got a little bit of flexibility on the rest on, on the last couple spots on the roster to make some additions if necessary. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, but I do think that, that like the, you know, just, just the fact that, that, there's the possibility that sporting could sign uh, two designated players means that uh, the, the off season does actually have the potential to be like a huge change. Like if you, if you signed like, you know, two uh, super high quality designated players, um, the, the team's ceiling for the next year automatically um, well, hopefully right. would go up significantly. Well, but they'd have to, they, but in order for that to even functionally happen, Gaddy Kenda goes bye-bye. Right. Right. Okay, so then when you do that, then one of those DPs has to be a central midfielder. Sure, and I, and I love Gattikinda, but there are better central midfielders around than he sure. than him. So you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do that. I just right. want to make sure that right. we understand what the what the implications are. Yep. yep. If Gattikinda signs, we sign one. There is one legitimate DP slot that can be used on basically any position on the roster. Um, if Gattikinda doesn't sign, you have two DP slots potentially. Maybe only use one. But if you only use one, it has to be an essential midfielder. Um, I, I just I can't get my head around how it couldn't be on a central midfielder because you've got um, Voltaire out of contract and it, your other central midfielders are Tommy Hernandez and Radia. Yep. Like that. You, I mean, other than, you know, Danny Flores and Ozzy Cisneros and all these guys who will never play. Um <laughs> That those are somebody's going to freaking soundbite this when Ozzy says Narrows goes off next year. But let's anyway, hope, let's hope, let's hope, let's hope, let's hope that happens. Because because I mean, frankly, just you know, my own opinion is that those are just those are just absolutely wasted roster spots. Just just wasted. You might as well not even have them. Um, but that's for another time. Mm-hmm. That's a separate conversation, and we've we've had the youth development conversation on this podcast several times. So, um, but I think the key takeaways again are there are anywhere from one to two DP slots available, depending on what happens with Gadi Kinda, and that 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 is a nice thing to have. And I do think I'm okay with the staff being prudent about how they invest in that position. As long as they are prudent and and make thoughtful decisions about it. Like Uh it's, it's it's really important. This is the problem. If you fuck up a DP signing, it's a big, it's a big one. Minnesota FC, Minnesota United. Like that's what you look like. It's I'm trying to think of other teams that have just historically just consistently fucked them up. Uh, Red Bulls. You know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. Just, Dallas. I mean, Dallas. Lots, yeah. lots of teams can't get him right. You know, it's Frank not, O'Hara. It's not Frank O'Hara, the DP. <laughs> like seriously though, like that that can be you. Yeah. So, um, we all get our eyes lighted up and just excited oh, about. We forgot. That, hey, we forgot the biggest one, Chicago. I mean, come on. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's one of your favorite players of all time, too. Yeah, it's so sad. It's really sad. He still plays great for Switzerland, but yeah. Jesus Christ, um, what a nightmare of a signing that was. Or Toronto. Actually, it's Toronto. Toronto is the best example of fucking this up. Like the most clear example of fucking this up is Toronto FC. And and you can you can end up looking like them if yeah. you if you do that. So I yeah. think that there there is 
I, I'm okay. It's easy to get, like I said, you're like the freaking um, Looney Tunes, with your eyes open with the cash signs on it about like just this crazy player you can go sign and just like, hey, remember, this ain't a video game. It, it doesn't like, always you gotta work get that this way. right. Yeah. You got to get it right. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to be real mad yeah. um, next year. So I, I think, you know, there is opportunity there. And I just hope that um, the team invests in it effectively. And if they don't invest in it immediately, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. That means they're waiting to make sure they get the right fit. Um, and I would, I, I prefer it to be completely honest. Um, think about how many great teams this year added in the summer window. I mean, FC Cincinnati almost made the MLS Cup final. They signed their DT, their DP forward in the summer. Yeah. Um, Diego Rossi came in in the summer yep. for uh, Columbus, didn't he? Yeah, that. But that, you know, when you're signing uh, players who've already been in the league, it doesn't. I mean, a little bit, but still. I mean, they made us, but they had the flexibility to make to sign Diego. Well, part of it's because they sold Zellerian, but right. still, <laughs> they 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 were able to make that move quickly, and I think that that was a smart move. I don't know if LAFC ever signed anybody in the summer, but anyway, there, there are the like teams that have been very successful have made significant summer signings. It's not yeah. the worst thing in the world. When uh, Seattle signed Nico Ladero in the summer in 2016, went one MLS Cup. So there's opportunity here potentially. Absolutely. Yep. It doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing if we haven't signed a DB in the winter. That's all no. I'm saying. Okay, I'm out of gas. We've talked about nerdy roster things for two hours i hope you all enjoyed it um don't hate me if i didn't answer your questions i tried to get to as many of them as possible and um we'll see how this shakes out there's all kinds of weird mls roster things happening over the next several weeks that i'm not going to talk about chad smith wrote an article on the kc soccer journal go read that it explains all of it if you're interested in like all the different you know re-entry drafts and all the other nonsense that happens regarding player movement None of it really means much for Sporting Kansas City unless they select somebody. Um, the only person that would be eligible for any of those is Kinda, and we gave him a, a we gave him a bona fide offer, so he's not eligible. So don't worry about any players leaving Sporting Kansas City via those methods. Um, other than Courtney Ford, Courtney Ford is technically a free agent. So that's it. That's all I got. All right. Are Are you sufficiently um, full of? all the roster construction nerdery that you need for the next year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sufficiently excited to watch, um, awesome DPs play this weekend. So yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Yep. I'm very excited for it. I, of course, because we said it's going to be a fun game, it's going to be boring as hell, but, um, no, I'm looking forward to it. Those are, there's some really good players on both teams that, there, um, I mean, the, there is zero chance that, uh, Columbus is going to play a boring game. I was going to say, Wilfred Nancy does not know how to play boring soccer. No. He's like the Ange Postacoglu of freaking MLS. He's yep. like, I I refuse to be boring. Yep. Um, it, we may not win, but it won't be boring. But they are but they win. They're in MLS Cup, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, they win plenty. Um, anyway, good deal. All right. Well, on that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.